0: From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, May 13th. I'm Monique Aiken. Today, I'm joined by David Bank, editor and CEO of Impact Alpha. On the docket today, highlights from the most recent agents of Impact Call. Hi, David.
1: Hey, Monique, great to be back.
0: But first, here's what you need to know from the week in Impact Investing. The ESG backlash is on. With U.S. midterm elections looming, opponents of integrating environmental social and governance considerations in investment decisions are getting political under the guise of getting politics out of investing former vice president mike pence is calling on states to rein in investment funds quote pushing a radical esg agenda
1: liberal activist investors are forcing private companies to abide by ESG investing principles, elevating left-wing environmental, social, and corporate governance goals over the interests of the business, shareholders, or employees.
0: Texas, West Virginia, and other states are pressuring BlackRock to dial back its climate stewardship. And a chorus of Republican opposition may have helped delay the SEC's proposed rules on corporate climate disclosure. Impact Alpha's Amy Cortese and Dennis Price dug into the politics of ESG in the brief. High fuel prices are accelerating Africa's transition to electric mobility. Electric motorcycles from Ecoboda and Ampersand, electric buses from Apibus, and batteries from Shift. The continent's e-mobility startups raised about $105 million last year. Local Initiative Support Corporation, or LISC, raised a $100 million Entrepreneurs of Color Loan Fund. The fund will buy loans off the books of community development financial institutions to free up their capital for more lending to entrepreneurs of color. And Group 14 Technologies brought in $400 million to commercialize silicone batteries for electronics, cars, and planes. Battery tech ventures are raising big rounds in the race for better lithium batteries. Impact Alpha subscribers got all of these stories and more in their email each day this week. Welcome back, David. I'm eager to hear what you're thinking about this ESG backlash.
1: Yeah, it's getting quite political as you mentioned in the headline. It's tempting to write it off as just kind of billionaires chafing at any criticism of themselves. Elon Musk called ESG the devil incarnate. And Peter Thiel said, when you think ESG, you should think Chinese Communist Party. But Thiel, for example, was just irked mostly by environmentalist types who were bad-mouthing Bitcoin's energy consumption.
0: Well, they're not wrong. But my take is that there's something more insidious going on.
1: Well, I think it's pretty safe to say it's a part of a broader campaign to rescue fossil fuels from the dustbin of history. Um, There's been pushback, obviously, for example, on the SEC's proposed rules on corporate climate disclosure. And BlackRock has been getting hammered by in like Texas and West Virginia um, about using its voting power at shareholder meetings to press for climate action.
0: The irony, of course, is that many impact investors myself included, and others, agents of impact, think ESG does not go far enough. Yet the backlash makes it seem like ESG is all powerful.
1: Yeah, that's only one of the many ironies. And actually, it was, uh, here's one, it was Elon Musk who pressed the debate forward in the context of Tesla's own impact report, which came out this week. Tesla gets dinged for bad labor practices and various health and safety violations and other things, but they did disrupt the entire automobile industry around electric vehicles. So there's that. So he's pushing for an emphasis on actual corporate impact and not just corporate operations as sometimes ESG gets limited to.
0: Well, we need both, don't we?
1: Exactly. Um, uh, Separately, we were pleased um, but not surprised at the tremendous interest in our Agents of Impact call this week on alternatives to venture capital for startups and small businesses. It struck me that we didn't even really need to lay out the case against venture capital. So many people now take it as a given That that model just doesn't work for most businesses and they're looking for alternatives. In fact, one of the debates that broke out on the call was whether we can still call it alt capital when uh, alternatives to venture capital actually are are backing about 80 percent of all um, of all businesses. So what are they trying to call it? Well, I'm not sure that, you know, some people are just calling it business financing. I mean, it's not really new. I mean, working capital, inventory financing, uh, factoring, trade finance, even revenue-based financing um, have all been around. What's new right now is a tremendous surge in entrepreneurship, um, kind of post-pandemic. 2021 was a record year with more than 5 million new business starts. um, And people of color and uh, women and women of color in particular are leading the trend And um, this kind of capital is what's needed to make that trend stick and be, dare I say, transformative of the whole economy. On the call, Johnny Price of WeFunder talked about opening up not only who gets funded, but who does the funding uh, with equity crowdfunding, which is trying to rebrand as community rounds. Was saying the power shouldn't be concentrated in in the hands of millionaires and, and VC funds Uh, Everyone should democratically have a vote. Everyone should be able to vote with their dollars on which businesses in their communities or, you know, in cause areas that they
0: care about get funded. So access to capital for a whole new wave of entrepreneurs. And what do they really need? Well, Kim Folsom of Founders First has really thought through um, how to help these
1: founders grow their businesses. She's keen on revenue-based financing, revenue-based lending that aligns with a company's growth and cash flow. Unlike equity where you have to have a major liquidity event at some time in the future, you have this ongoing kind of, you know, monthly liquidity pieces happening based on revenues coming in and the inherent flexibility and nature of this capital allows for this ups and down rises that happen with small business. Like, for example, during the uh, pandemic, you know, for everyone, the uh, second quarter of 2020 was a really challenging quarter and for traditional Debt. A lot of them had to either do forbearance or deferment because you know there was lower cash than what was the planned payment. There's the automated flexibility that's added into this method of financing uh, to weather those ups and downs.
0: Yeah, and that's a big question. How will these new businesses and these financing mechanisms weather what seems to be an impending downturn?
1: Well, yeah, um, you know, they may be even more resilient. Um, you know, people talk about revenues, not rounds and a sort of return to basics and and the end of, of, of growth at all costs, which the venture capital model may have enabled. Uh, Johnny Price at WeFunder said that crowdfunding may uh, actually uh, benefit um, as venture capital funding dries up, people come back to
0: the crowd. Well, that's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks, David. And thanks to our producer, Isaac Silk. Subscribe to get full access to Impact Alpha and The Daily Brief. Right now, we're offering podcast listeners $100 off their first subscription. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use the code briefing100. Thank you for listening. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. Make sure to check back for next week's briefing. And until then, take care.